Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ReopenAmericaResourceCenter.com. Are you struggling personally or professionally because of the coronavirus shutdown? Ready to grow your business and serve more customers and clients? Finally, there's a trustworthy website with resources, relief options, grants, support, and much more for small businesses, nonprofits, and individuals. One location with all the information. It's time to get back to work, life, and reopen America. Visit ReopenAmericaResourceCenter.com today. The ultimate resource platform to help you in every way. This is Everything Home, the transformational show about life, laughter, and the pursuit of happiness delivered by good people doing good business and good things. Let's take the word freedom. Wouldn't it be great to have more professional freedom, personal freedom, and how about financial freedom? Every week, Michelle Swinnick, the queen of quality content, interviews experts, entrepreneurs, professionals, and purpose-driven people to share their stories, their passions, and provide real-life, tangible takeaways. Get ready to be entertained, yet learn some incredible information. This is Everything Home, and this is Michelle Swinnick. This is a special episode of Everything Home to help Americans navigate through this unprecedented epidemic that's disrupting everyone's lives and what to expect on the other side. Today's topic, the big picture about the coronavirus that no one is talking about. My guest today is a data-driven genius, and I love saying that. The, <laughs> I don't even need to give him an introduction. You should, everyone should know his name by now, and I, I don't understand why he's not on television much more because the way that he just presents everything, it would be so beneficial for the audiences to just really understand the severity of this, especially from the data side. We just had a conversation off the air, and it gave me a whole new perspective compared to what I read and what I see. Let me get back to giving him a little bit of an intro. Neil Bawa is the CEO of Grow Capitus and MultifamilyU.com. And he's also one of our experts and members of the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and Marketplace. You can listen to his previous episodes and sign up for his webinars on our website, everythinghometalkshow.com. Just click the episodes tab and go to current events for his shows. And if you click the marketplace tab and you go to webinars, all of his content is there. You can register for upcoming uh, webinars and even download existing ones. And all of our episodes are listed on our website and patriotic purpose-driven platform, everythinghometalkshow.com. Please begin to check it out. Use it as a resource to meet, learn from, and hire the expert guest professionals and members of the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and Marketplace. They truly are good people doing good business and good things. They're people and companies you can trust to provide quality content products and exceptional service. First, my joke, then on with the show. So why did Adele cross the road? To sing hello from the other side. <laughs> I thought it was appropriate since <laughs> we were talking about you know what's really going on and how do we need 
navigate once we get to the other side. You heard a little bit of a giggle there, and uh, Neil, give them a little bit of information. How are you doing, Grow Capitus, Multifamily You, and then we'll get into everything about Corona. Sure, Michelle. Thanks for having me back on the show. It's uh, it's always fun to be on this show, and and we've had such amazing conversations. So I, I treasure the appearances on this show. Thanks for back having me back on. Um, how 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 are we doing? Well, we're a digital only company, so everyone's working from home, and real estate has a delayed effect. So we're not seeing that impact just yet. In fact, you know. Today is the 1st of April, so this is the first time that our tenants have had to pay rent after shutdown started and after the layoff started. So, so we'll, we'll find out more about how we're doing. The honest answer is I don't quite know yet. Um, everything's quiet on the home front, though I'm going store crazy. So what I'm starting to do is to walk around this massive carpet that I have in my bedroom, and I'm walking on it so much in circles that I think that there's going to be a big hole here in about 15 days. <laughs> And you're getting to really get to know your wife again. I'm sure that uh, the the conversations right. and the time spent, it's, uh, I read something. A big positive. Um, yeah, yesterday, mm-hmm. the day before, that now that China is going, you know, getting back into the swing of things, the divorce rate has, has dramatically gone up. <laughs> I mean, not, it's not necessarily laughing, but it's just reality when, you know, more people are spending time together. Whoa. It's a, it's a make or break kind of thing where do I really like you or not so much anymore? And it's been like that for a while. Well, here, here's the good side. Here's the good side. So data always shows the negative things because that's what the media publishes. Sure, China's divorce rate may be going up. But for every person that's getting divorced because of the time that they spend together, there's probably a half dozen or a dozen couples that have grown closer together. But because their story is not, you know, newsworthy, we're not hearing about it. I think that there's lots of people that have gotten closer together through this enforced shutdown in China than there are that have divorced. It's just we don't hear about them. Yeah, nobody likes the good stories. They like the drama and the sensationalism rather than uh, something that's positive. And, you know, welcome to the media. Yeah. I guess it's bait click or whatever they call it nowadays in order for you to maybe buy click something or, mm-hmm. yeah, or ruin something mm-hmm. for somebody else. So let's get into the topic today, which is the big picture about the coronavirus that no one is talking about. And as I mentioned, you have brought up some very critical information that they're not talking about on Mm -hmm. the commentators or on all of the shows that, as I mentioned, really gave me an insight as to why we're doing what we're doing and the severity of it. So I'll let you take it from there and then we'll kind of just go through and how we can get people some more information and about reality and, and the things that you're seeing, even, you know, we'll talk about the real estate world for a little bit when we get to that point. All right. So here's my take. And, and I've been tracking data for a while. My take is this, the nationwide shutdown was inevitable. There was no choice. There was no, if there was only a, when, and people like me that are business people that get hurt when this happens, have been dragged, kicking, and screaming towards accepting these shutdowns. My business has been hurt. I am in real estate. I have tenants who haven't gotten paid. I have tenants that have gotten laid off. I have people talking about rent strikes nationwide. So the last thing I want to say is that I'm somebody that accepted this easily. 
But I have to say that the data is unquestionable on this. There was no option for President Trump to not institute more shutdowns, to not do social distancing, to not be more and more aggressive as the days have gone on. There was no option. The data was very clean. There was only the option of when. And the United States has actually been the most flexible amongst all of the westernized countries in giving their governors their own dates of shutdown. If you look at what Spain did, national shutdown, France national, UK national, Switzerland national, Germany national, Italy was the one different one. They tried a region, Lombardy first, and then they, they didn't spread it to multiple regions. They just went region and then national. The US, if you look at our size, we're 328 million people or thereabouts. So we're about half the size of Europe. So think of us as half, basically a, a smaller Europe, and think of our states as European countries. So what we've really done is we've given our own governors the ability to decide when to do these shutdowns. And for the most part, I think the governors are doing it right. Some of them are more aggressive, some of them are less aggressive. You know, the guy in Florida, I think, is particularly a little crazy because he's going to end up killing a huge number of people. But for the most part, they're doing it well. They're doing it fairly well. The key is that this is the part that the media doesn't talk about. And, and I've been living in coronavirus data for weeks. There's a website I created called coronavirusrealestate.com. And I started out being a website about the impact of coronavirus to real estate. And to be honest, that mission quickly went by the wayside when we realized that our actual mission was coronavirus data. And maybe the website should have been called coronavirusdata.com because not enough people in the media are either talking about the, the good sides of this because the media likes to show all the bad stuff because that gets them eyeballs and keeps people watching on their televisions. It's so much more, um, you know, uh, you know, newsworthy to be talking about all these deaths that are happening in New York than to talk about the fact that state after state in the U.S. and country after country in Europe, the curve is bending, but we cannot see it yet. One of the weird things about this coronavirus is that everything we see is a two-week delay. The people that are going into the ER today, the people that are being tested today, they were the people that got infected last week or the week before. So we're looking two weeks into the past. Given that shut, no state in the union has been shut down for more than two weeks, how can we see the impact? Doctors can see them. Researchers can see them. There's a lot of different data models that are telling us that we are slowing this thing down. But people can only see the numbers that are on CNN and on Fox News. And those numbers, they get bigger every day. 25,000 new infections in the U.S. You know, yesterday and 20,000 the day before. I told my wife that day before yesterday, the 30th, was a day to celebrate. And she said, how can you celebrate 20,000 new, new infections today? And there were also a pretty high number of deaths, like 500 or 700 deaths. And I said, because the data is telling me that the social distancing is working, even though tomorrow there'll be more than 20,000 infections. But in, in, in data, we don't look at how many people get infected. We don't look at... Um, 
you know, if, if that rate is higher than yesterday. We simply look at how much higher than yesterday. Is it 10% higher than yesterday? Is it 20%? Is it 30? Is it 40? And if it was 40, today is it 30% higher? And then the next day is it 20% higher? Because if we keep going that way, even though the numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the percentages are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's working for sure. And I'm seeing that impact everywhere, Michelle. That's the difference. One, you're looking at it from a data-driven economic side when you're dealing directly with numbers. Mm -hmm. The general public uh, is looking at it from this is just another version of the flu. And as I mentioned, the statistics there were 45 million people were infected, 61,000 died. You're shutting down the whole country and destroying lives and businesses because, and a look at our numbers are so low now, but that's what the average consumer is seeing, but they're not taking, they're not even thinking along the lines of what you were talking about because it's growing exponentially. And then there's a two week lag time. And apparently it must be very contagious if so many people are getting it so quickly by being exposed and then there must be something else on the medical side where it really does. And it sounds like it goes directly into the lungs, which at that point you've got like almost like an extreme advanced form of pneumonia, as opposed to the flu where maybe it doesn't settle there so, so quickly. And and that's the thing. It's almost like, I wish when, when they, when they're talking about this on television shows or the news or commentators, they, they make that, that correlation between the two. So more people could understand really why we're doing what we're doing and why it really is important to stay inside as, as you've seen a lot of people, they don't, they're not, they're not taking that seriously. I mean, I've watched something this morning on a couple of shows and I'm like, Oh my God, these people are acting like everything's normal. And it's, it's just prolonging the pain, you know, rather than ripping off the bandaid, they're just slowly taking it off and it's taking longer. So it's, um, I think that's part of the problem. It's not being explained the way that you are delivering the information. The clarity that I got earlier when we were talking, I, cause I was anti shutting Mm -hmm. everything down and I'm, I was pushing back and I'm crazy. And now I'm all in. Now I'm like, shut down every state. Let's get this damn thing over with already. So everyone can get back to where we need to be and clean up the mess. Yep. And, Once again, I come from the same thought process as you. The pain that my business is experiencing, the pain that my tenants are experiencing is extraordinary. So the question that I've been asking myself is, you know, people die every year from every kind of disease. They die from cancer. They die from the flu. They die from lots of things. We kill 33,000 people die in car accidents and a million get injured. The world goes on. We don't shut America down because 33,000 people die in accidents, right? So my natural tendency has always been to say we should resist a shutdown. We should resist it. But the math proved me wrong. You know, data, data beats gut, gut feel by a million miles. In this case, data beats gut feel by a billion miles because everyone's thinking that we're applying this to things like the flu and to cancer and saying, we don't shut down America for those things. The problem is we believe that there is a choice. There's a choice to shut down America for automobile accidents. If we shut down America, we'll have less automobile accidents. In fact, we'll have none. We don't shut it down because we have a choice. What I'm trying to tell all of your listeners is the math here proves very easily that there is no choice. 
There is no choice. You only have one choice, and that is when. Each state, depending upon its number of cases and depending upon its clusters, which turned into booms, right? So this, the, the way this thing works is case, 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 cluster, cluster, boom, right? If you have one boom, Louisiana has one for New Orleans, then you might, you might have a few more days. So your choice is not about shutting down or not. Your choice is about how many days do I have before this completely and ridiculously overwhelms my healthcare system and kills a massive number of my citizens. And those, the, the damage, the economic damage from killing such a massive number of Americans is by itself now significantly higher than the short-term economic damage from shutting the country down. And in every state, as the data has come in, and I've seen these states go, remember on the 20th of March, it was the first state, California, my state, right? Only 11 days have passed and 27 other states have made that decision all at different times. Here's what they realized. Their doctors were showing them, okay, if you shut down on the 28th, we will probably end up with 2,000 dead in our state. If you shut down by the 29th, we'll now have 6,000 dead. If you shut down by the 30th, we'll now have 24,000 dead. At no point were their doctors saying that there's a scenario where if you don't shut down, that you won't shut down next week. So the doctors were simply saying, it's a buffet of dates. You have your choice. You can shut down today, and accept this level of fatalities. You can shut down in three days and accept that level, or you can shut down a week from now, and by that time, your, your, your healthcare system will be ridiculously, completely overwhelmed with your surge being 3X or 4X your hospital beds. And then if you don't shut down for a week beyond that, it's just complete Armageddon. 100% of your population is affected, and 100% of your healthcare professionals are affected. Everyone's just dying and the state's economy completely combusts. And all of those options are within the next four or five weeks. So the politicians, and many of these are Republican governors that were highly opposed, like me, to shutting the U.S. economy down. The data, though, made it just changed their mind because it was never a choice. And I can tell you, Florida's open. Today's the 1st of April as we're recording this. Florida's open. Texas is open. Georgia's open. These are deep red states. Well, not so much for Florida anymore, but Texas and Georgia are deep red states. They have no choice. So I can tell you, and you can email me later and tell me if I was wrong, only seven days from now, all of the remaining 22 states will have lockdown because the death toll doesn't increase linearly each day. This virus doesn't think like us. We think one, two, three, four, five. The virus thinks 1, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000. And because in five days it's gotten to 10,000, while we've only gotten to five, it's a completely different kind of creature. So five days from today, the death toll in Texas, if they don't go into lockdown, is going to be 10 times higher than it could be today. And I'm making some of these numbers up. Granted, I'm, I'm trying to prove a point here, so I'm exaggerating a little bit. But what I'm saying is, if Texas waits 10 days, the politician, the governor that's there, knows that he's going to end up killing 10 times as many people as if he shuts down today. 
And at some point, that starts to weigh on you when you realize that your choice is not if, but when. And the question is, do you really want to save these 10 days? And that's why every state in the union is going to shut down, and it's going to happen within the next week. Well, and to back up exactly what you're saying, the, the statistics I pulled this morning were for Washington, mm-hmm. California, and New York, and it was two weeks prior to the stay at home, then what, what their daily increases were since then, and then the daily increases over the last three days. So let's just take California. So prior to the shutdown, yep. it was 22.5% of new cases daily. If, mm-hmm. Once they did the shutdown, it dropped to 19.3. And then over the last mm-hmm. three days, it's now at 14.8. But the biggest one- That's right, and the Bay Area is under 10%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so and we started whole, four days so before California case. and we're at 10, okay. right? Yeah. So it yeah. drops fairly quickly. That's the good news. It drops fairly quickly, but you don't see it in the first 10 days because it is dropping in the first 10 days. But the people that are coming into the hospitals to be counted are people from before. So the, there's actually a much greater drop than those numbers show you, Michelle. It is significantly greater, but you won't see but, it for a few days. Right. So look, look at New York. This is this is really what hit home to me this morning. So prior to the two week mm-hmm. shutdown, they were at forty one point four percent. Then that's insanity. They, yeah, yeah. Then they did the daily the, the daily increase once they did the shutdown dropped to nineteen point eight, and in the last three days it's thirteen point two. That's a huge difference. There you go. That that's is incredible. Just so yeah. you know, that's not a three x difference. That is not three x. Understand this, that most people think the difference between 14 and, and 41 is 3x. No, it's 3x per day. In a month, it is the difference between 10 or 20,000 people dying in New York and 2 million people or a million people dying in New York. Because essentially, every single person in, in New York will get infected within 30 days if you stay at 41% a day. If you stay, that, that rate is devastating. No one can survive that. And I understand that the virus only kills about 1% of the people, but you can just simply take New York's population and say 1% of these people are dead. That's what you're saying there because their infection rate was ridiculously high because of the density of New York mm-hmm. City. So they had no choice. And I'm so glad that they did it because I have to tell you, their governor is winning lots of kudos. But if you go back to the 10 days before the shutdown, there was a lot of pressure on him to shut down, but he didn't want to shut down because he knows the devastation, the economic devastation he's going to cause by shutting down. It is a horrifying decision for a governor to make, right? I mean, shut down New York, immediately put three or four million people out of work, people who don't have the money to buy food 30 days from now. I know it's a horrible decision, but the alternative is insanely bad, absolutely insanely bad. So the alternative is he doesn't shut down. And on April 25th, roughly, I don't know, one, roughly 50, 60% of the people in New York are already infected. Their hospitals are at 10x of their capacity. Their healthcare workers are all infected because everyone's infected. So that rate of infection is so high that even the healthcare workers are getting infected. So the hospital system starts to break down. That's exactly what happened in Northern Italy. And now instead of 1% of the infected dying, 5% of the infected die. 
That's what happens when, he, when the system gets overwhelmed. So bottom line was, we all are very sympathetic to the economic devastation, but there was never any choice. This thing left us no choice whatsoever. Yeah, it's, it's just mind-blowing when you look at it from that angle and you really analyze what the numbers are. Um, and as far as you know, where, where we are now, let's just say that everything in the next week, everybody gets shut down. But as you mentioned, mm-hmm. most of it's already shut down already when it comes to the businesses that people are having to leave their house to go do, but the vital services are still going to stay open. So, you know, you're still going to have your grocery stores open. You're still going to have your delivery. You're still going to have um, yep. your shipping. So all of that's not going to change whether you do shutdown. And a lot of people have already mm-hmm. ventured into and, and transitioned into being virtual. And as far as the restaurants, I yep. mean, for the most part, they've already done their sweeping clean. And mm-hmm. it's really, we're not going to see that much. Like Arizona went on shutdown um, at five o'clock on Tuesday. And I said, well, nothing's going to change. People's mm-hmm. buying patterns aren't going to change because they're not going to go buy more food than the craziness that they were already doing in the grocery stores. Everyone's working from home. The schools are already shut. The non-essential services, technically people weren't going to them anyway. I mean, who went to go get their hair done or get a massage or, or right. any, or going to the right. gym because they were scared. And um, mm-hmm. so the, by having a shutdown, it's not really going to change that much. Because we've already we already started doing Correct. it once. Everybody started seeing what was going on on the news. And the I mean, you've got your idiots out there that are causing problems where they're doing you know like sure. these kids in Texas. They went on uh, they chartered a plane and went on spring break to Mexico a week and a half ago. Meanwhile, th- obviously there's enough information out there that that was a bad idea. Or anybody that was going out of the country <laughs> for a vacation, that's a bad idea. I still don't understand that cruise yep. ship that's going to be parking itself in Florida maybe t- tomorrow or the next day. Who, who in their right mind went on a cruise ship as soon as we found out this, there was a problem on a cruise ship like a month, month and a half ago. So you see, you've got stupid people out there that are making poor decisions that are going to hurt the people that are actually doing the quarantine. And that goes back to, you know, I, I, I have confidence in the American people to an extent, but then you have that group that's out there that the personal responsibility is zero and you have to enforce something as extreme as stay at home because you can't trust them to use common sense because they're obviously not doing it knowing that there's this, all this scary information out there and they're seeing what's going on, but yet they still go on a cruise or they still go on to, to, on a, um, to a spring break in Mexico. So you have to almost, it's like children. You have to just put them, you know what I mean? You have to discipline them because they're going to go ahead and eat the cookie when you told them not to eat the cookie. So now we got to take the cookie and we have to put it in a, in a cabinet because you obviously can't just have it on the counter because you, you know, you're going to eat it regardless of whether I told you or not. So that's, that's part Makes of it sense. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. So, uh, I, I want to share some good news here. I mean, there's so much good news to share, right? So if we can get beyond this whole concept of the hammer was necessary and there was no way around it, then there's so much good news to share about this thing that I've been researching and, and just feeling happy about now that I've mentally made that shift of, yep, we had to, we had to do the hammer, right? There was no choice with the hammer. So the first thing that I want to tell you, Michelle, is the data suggests that all these people that are going on cruise ships and these people that are you know, going on to beaches, they don't seem to matter because the curve, when it bends, it appears to bend identically for every U.S. state 
and also for every other country in the U.S., every other country in the world. So most of the countries that we're targeting, that we're looking at the data, and I'm not looking at every country, but I'm looking mostly at Europe. When I look at the curve when it bends after lockdown, their bend, our bend, our state-level bends are all practically identical, which means that every state, every country has their idiots. And because the number of idiots is much smaller than the number of sane people, the work that the damage that they're doing there's significant damage and we should stop them by using social media, which we are, it, it, it appears to not have a huge impact on the bend. So, so I think that, I don't think the U.S. is any different from any other country. There's always morons in every country. I just don't <laughs> think we have any more, any less, because it's not affecting our, our bend rate. So I can say, for example, that Texas's bend rate, if it goes into the quarantine, is going to be any lower than California's or vice versa because that's not what the data shows us. So that, that's the first thing. The, the, you know, the bend happens very, very successfully. It's very consistent. Every single state that goes into a lockdown, the, the cases start to, to bend. You know, the, the curve starts to basically become shallower. That's one. Number two, it appears to actually be faster than we thought. So uh, why? Number one is when China was doing this, they kept getting hit with the world's air traffic was open, right? So as China was trying to control its pandemic, people would keep coming in from outside China and making it worse for them. Well, international travel is pretty much at a standstill today. So we actually have an advantage over when China was fighting this thing two months ago in that international traffic is almost gone. Domestic travel traffic is down by 95% according to the TSA as of yesterday down by 95%. Wow. And I imagine some of the people traveling are journalists and healthcare professionals and, and military. So, so, you know, some of those are, are necessary things. So as a result, as the world economy shuts down more and more, we are getting some efficiencies that we didn't have 30 days ago. And so we're seeing the bends be more sharper as time goes on. Also, compliance is improving. If you are an idiot and you went to the beach and, and the sheriff shooed you off, then you're less likely to go back to the beach this week, right? So even some of the people that are rebels by nature are beginning to hunker down. And so we're seeing compliance levels go up across the United States, both in states that are in lockdown and in states that are not in lockdown. They're, the compliance levels are increasing. But naturally, as more and more people hear from everybody, enough proof that this is not the flu, that you can't compare it to the flu, even in, you know, like deep red states that at some point their, their governors were saying this is the flu, they've stopped saying that. And so their populations are like, okay, there's something to this, I, I need to be more careful, right? So attitudes are changing, and they're changing for the positive, which is really helping with the overall, you know, shallowing or, you know, bending that curve. So that's first. The second is, we're seeing so much innovation. We are unquestionably the most innovative country in the world, right? Nobody does it like us. Nobody does it as fast. We were a little bit slow on the, on the uptake, but now our innovation, you know, faucets are completely open. I'm seeing all kinds of useful things. For example, New York has figured out how to 3D print a, a $1 gizmo that you 3D print and you attach it to a ventilator and it turns it into two ventilators. Isn't that amazing? Right? So it, yeah. it, 
Right. You just plug this thing on top of this, add an additional hose, and now you've doubled your ventilation capacity. Not everyone's using it yet. New York has approval to use it. I'm sure that as it becomes, uh, you know, it becomes a challenge in other states. 3D printing is available universally everywhere. So it takes 15, 20 minutes to print this piece and attach it to a standard ventilator and double your capacity. You still need to go find a hose, but it's a lot easier to find a hose than to find a $30,000 ventilation machine. So that is, that's helping. We're seeing vaccines, which people were saying, oh, no vaccine for 18 months. Then they were saying, no vaccine for 12 months. Then we realized that we could actually break every single rule. Uh, you know, the, the CDC, the World Health Organization, all realized that we've never had anything like this. So everyone's breaking their rules when it comes to doing clinical trials. So we are now simultaneously doing trials on animals and on human beings because of the nature of this. If millions of people are going to die, we have to take some risk. The medical community is not used to taking any risk, but they're changing their tune and saying, you know what? Yes, let's take some risk. So we're doing clinical trials, which means that we could have a vaccine ready by fall. So there's a real chance of doing that. But even before a vaccine, Vaccines are really, really hard. They're, they're extremely complex. There's a lot of proof that we are now beginning to work on medicines that are not vaccines. So they don't prevent you from getting this thing. But what they do is once you do get it, they, 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 you know, they, they make it easier for you to recover, right? And we've heard a number of those in the press. You know, Trump's talked about two or, two or three of them. But there's now seven or eight candidates that are in clinical trials actively across the U.S. being given to infected patients. I have a, you know, hope that one of them will prove to be effective enough. It won't prevent us from getting it, but it will prevent a huge number of people from dying. So we're seeing lots of positives there. And then we're seeing innovation across the board in the world, not just in the U.S., on this concept of you know, tracking people, right? So you know, we, we've heard these, these phrases where they say, you know, if you get infected, it's very important to do contact tracing. Well, contact tracing so far has been done manually, but now more and more places are releasing apps, like an app on your smartphone. So you go to the, to the clinic and they say, yep, you're positive. You don't have any symptoms, so I'm not going to, you know, put you in a hospital bed. You need to go back home and quarantine yourself. But by the way, the state is now requiring me to get your address and you have to download this app and go click on this button here. So I know that you're at home. I know that you're quarantined because you're geo-locked to your physical location. So the app's already functional in Singapore and South Korea, and now they're, they're, they're giving the app for free away to anybody that wants it. And I bet you that by the end of this month or the beginning of next month, we will start using that app here. Now people, their phones are with them, so they're geolocked. And if they move out of their, their quarantine zone, their home, well, a police officer comes by and gently escorts them back to their home. And if they do it a second time, then they end up in a slammer. I think those things will happen. We will find innovative ways to slow down the, the virus because we have to reopen our economy. There is no way that we can wait for a year until every last case goes away. We have to reopen in May because the economic damage is catastrophic. But I think that we are going to find ways to reopen the economy. We're, gonna, we're seeing places where they're saying, well, based on your age, 
you're not going to be allowed out when, you, when, when, when we reopen the economy. And China is a really great petri dish right now, right? They're running these experiments. They're saying, hmm, should I let out the people that are 70 years old? No, no, that's too much of a risk because my hospitals are going to get overloaded. So I'm going to say, okay, if you're over 70, you can't leave your house. But, and, and then I'm finding that the young are not getting infected, so I'm going to open the schools, but instead of opening the schools normally, I'm going to open them a different way where children are still set apart so they don't become carriers and they don't take you know, infections back home. So everyone, they're running, everyone around the world is running experiments on how do we get from the point where, on average, three people get infected by each person that's infected. If we can drop it from three to one, it's fine. We don't have to drop it to zero. This is not Ebola, right? It only kills 0.66% of the people that get infected. So we don't need a complete victory. We just need to do the dance. Right now we're in the hammer portion. I think we're going to do the dance better than most people give us credit for because technology, innovation, doctor ideas are all coming to the fore on how we do the dance until we get to a vaccine and hopefully we get to a vaccine in fall, not next year. So you brought up a good point that yeah. if we're doing the hammer right now and then we are going to, the goal would be maybe May or even the end of May mm-hmm. if we have to go through the mm-hmm. even worst case scenario, the whole second quarter, what would be from a data standpoint, the indicator that we need to see in, in a certain state or age groups or something to say, okay, it's, we can open up and we could take a, uh, we're headed back to recovery at that point in this particular area. What, what would be the data that we need to need to have to, to get to that point? Because, and, and as you know, just even like in the stock markets, you know, they don't hit a bottom until you have mm-hmm. that main issue resolved. So until we actually have something to uh, look forward to and achieve, we're just in we're in a limbo period where we're just waiting for time to go by and hope that everything settles itself. So what's the number or what do you look for? Well, or is you there know, one? So the the answer is you know there there isn't one because the population and the infection rate of each city, each state. Each, each country is different. But the good news is that the U.S. will have the benefit of not being the first. Um, Italy, you know, we're watching them very carefully. Iran is doing so much better than it was seven or ten days ago. The Iranian daily infection rate is down big time. So I think what will happen is we're going to learn a lot. And, and we don't need to know this. The good news is we don't need to know this for the next month. Why? Because we are in the hammer phase. We don't get to dance until May, right? The hammer phase, we have 30 days. During that time, Italy will go into the dance. So will Iran. China's already in the dance phase. And so is Hong Kong. So what the, the answer to your question will come from us watching these four countries that are three or four weeks ahead of us, and China's two months ahead of us or a month and a half, and watching how they're doing the dance. Because one thing that I've seen from the numbers again and again is that when we, when we restart economies, the experience that the U.S. will have will be similar to what China has, which will be similar to what Iran has, because by that time, everybody's learned the basics. Your population has learned the basics. You've learned the basics. You've already implemented the hammer. Your healthcare system is fully spun up. So I think our experience will be similar to theirs. And so we will simply be watching what they're doing and aping some of the, the best practices that they're using 
to go into the dance. And the way I see the dance happening is there's going to be outbreaks, right? And then what will happen is it will be like a hurricane, right? So when a hurricane hits Houston, it doesn't affect what New York is doing. It doesn't affect what Philadelphia is doing. It just affects Houston and the areas around Houston. So the dance period will have outbreaks happen, and then another, an area that has an outbreak goes into a 15-day shutdown while the rest of the world keeps doing what they're supposed to be doing. There will be restrictions during the dance on air travel, on domestic air travel, because we don't want to have all those people in Houston that, let's say, Houston's the outbreak. If they're infected, we don't want to transport that across the United States. But within the state, within the city, People will be in offices and in restaurants. They'll still be working. So think of each major metro as its own Petri dish, where during the dance we're watching this Petri dish, but it's not moving a lot of people from, from one Petri dish to another. So there'll still be some regional uh, restrictions, and, and China certainly doing that. They're not allowing regional travel. But within the metros, life will return to normal. People will go to work. And I think that this could happen in June, not in July. Well, what they were, uh, the Federal Reserve President at St. Louis, James Bullard, was on one of the shows this morning. And he was saying basically what they have estimated and, and calculated by part of the um, stimulus, they're not, they're not stimulus plans, it's, re, it's rescue plans, that they've basically mm-hmm. written off the second quarter. So they said in a, in a normal quarter, the U.S. produces $5 trillion of goods and services. So second quarter, yep. if it goes the full amount, they've already basically said, you know what, you're losing half, which is $2.5 trillion, and that's mm-hmm. just $2.5 trillion less income going, that's not going to be going to households. So at that point, Q3, which would be July 1st, they are thinking that's when we begin the transition, like you're saying, maybe the dance, if, if we don't have to wait until mm-hmm. July 1st instead of, and then instead of June. And then for, uh, the fourth quarter is where we're going to see somewhat normalization and then potentially a boom because people are able to get back in the swing of things and businesses are up and running. And now we're just triaging certain hotspots as they pop up, but it's not going to be anything like it is now. So that's similar to what you're saying. You're just saying maybe a month sooner than that. I think it's a month sooner because a federal government official, especially James Bullard, who's been very outspoken, has to be very careful in what they say, and they have to add in uh, a certain amount of buffers. I think James Bullard thinks June, but says July, because he doesn't want to be wrong in public. I'm, I'm not standing for you know, a government post. So I'm just showing, looking at the data going, this looks like we are going to be in the dance sphere in June, not in July. So that's the good news. The numbers, the bend is so sharp as soon as you lock down a state. And by as soon, I mean, you know, 15 days after you lock down a state, the bend starts to get sharper. And and if the bend stays that way, I think we're going to go into the dance in June, a month sooner than most politicians are willing to say. Because the politicians first, they underplayed this, then it blew up on them. Now they're all being very careful. Now they're mm-hmm. all adding months to everything. They're adding buffers. I don't need to add buffers. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But the data shows me that parts of the United States will go into the dance much sooner than most people think. And my state, California, will be the first one. Because the San Francisco Bay Area, 
was very careful and went into lockdown before anywhere else in the U.S. did. And then California followed five days later. And you might say, it's not a big deal, Neil. It was five days. Not in virus time. In human time, five days is no big deal. In virus time, it is an eternity. We bought ourselves a massive amount of time on the back end, in the dance phase. We bought ourselves a month by shutting down five days early. I want to point out that when, if Texas resists a lockdown for 10 days, then they, they, they basically go into the dance phase a month after everybody else. So it doesn't make sense financially to wait at this point in time. The U.S. is effectively shut down anyway. You're not losing mm -hmm. much, as you said, Michelle. Most places in Texas are already shut down. Streets are already empty. Why resist? Finish the hammer phase. Get to the dance as quickly as you can. Now, and to bridge the gap between where we are now and the dance mm -hmm. period, the good thing is, is that the mm -hmm. government and the feds have moved extremely quick to put together this huge uh, CARES package. And then that is just for the consumer and the businesses. But what's really fascinating is the behind the scenes, the, the infusion of the Fed where they're putting $500 billion into that special fund. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, you got nine, nine to 10 times the amount that they could leverage. So that's actually creating your liquidity and it's allowing them to buy the mortgage backed securities and the, uh, the commercial debt and all that so that those companies and that whole real infrastructure of what makes this world go round is, is something that's still viable that can, we can work on the, the, the front end with the consumer. Yeah, it's not a ton of money, but it's going to save a lot of people and the loans for the small businesses where they're forgiven and the leniency guidelines on what they're calling for people to be quote unquote unemployed or if they are partial employed and then even from the mortgage forbearance, the no credit reporting for 120 days uh, from the time uh, from the, what, a couple of months ago, they're going back two months, 120 days, and then 120 days after we come out of this when they declare that we're good to go. So, I mean, they, I am so impressed that they did it so quickly and they really have taken into consideration all of the aspects of what could go wrong to also keep the consumer preserved. So when they do come back, they still have buying power because their credit wasn't damaged or they're, they're not out on the street because they got foreclosed on on their house. And I know that there are some eviction protections, but I have a feeling, and mm -hmm. you can give some feedback on this. Most landlords are probably realistic on some sort of a, a creative program or, or forbearance for a period of a month or two, where they're mm -hmm. working with the tenants on maybe even a discounted amount for now and then paying it back later. So, I mean, it's not like when we were in 2008, when it was just real estate and everybody else was fine. And then of course, you know, that's foreclosure, foreclosure and getting thrown out. It's a, the investors now, I would assume they're kind of like more landlords with a heart, right? So you're seeing that from your, your yep. right? Yep, yep. And, and and that's, I mean, that's I, was, I was, it's incredibly critical. It's absolutely critical, right? You mentioned that James Bullard said, you know, five, it's a $20 trillion economy. We lose half of one quarter. That's two and a half trillion. Well, we just injected more than that into the economy, two trillion through the CARES Act, and then more than, more than that amount 
through what the Fed is doing, which is, which is very, very powerful by buying mortgage-backed securities. They're even buying corporate bonds. And mm-hmm. all of this led me to actually tell my wife. I told my wife, I think aliens hijacked our Congress. These are not the same people that haven't passed a, a full budget since 1994. Congress is moving at virus time. They're moving at the speed of the coronavirus. And that's amazing. The things that they took six months to do in 2008, they were still passing packages in, in the, at, the end of 2000, at, at the end of Q2 in 2009. But this entire CARES Act, from the first person talking about it to the date that it was signed, was 17 days. I have to say, I, I am, I'm a huge critic of Congress and, and the, the administration, but this was not you know, partisan. This was an incredible feat to write a $2 trillion bill and to get it through Congress signed in 17 days. That you have to give them credit for that. And it's not, it's not one party that deserves it. I think that both parties did it. They did their usual horse trading. There's some ridiculous pork in there. But, but for the most part, when I look at the CARES Act, it makes a lot more sense than the bailout in 2008. The common man doesn't have a lot to complain about in the bailout compared to 2008. You have to be realistic. There's money in there for big companies too. There's money in there to bail out the airlines. But when I look at it, it's a much more fair product compared, you know, compared to 2008. And I don't think that Congress will catch a lot of flack for it. And what's amazing is today, already, both Republicans and Democrats have talked about the next phase. So President Trump said, we must do an infrastructure bill, $2 trillion. Nancy Pelosi this morning said, we need to do an infrastructure bill. She said $750 billion. I'm sure that the, the final number might be somewhere in between those two. But if we can do a $1 trillion infrastructure bill... And people have been talking about that $1 trillion, by the way, for a long time. Obama couldn't get it through in 2008 or 2009. That would be a great gift to America. We know that our infrastructure is crumbling. We know that Congress will never pass a $1 trillion infrastructure bill. There's not, there's not enough will in Congress to get that. There's not enough votes. So if they are able to use the coronavirus virus, uh, you know, outbreak, to pass a $1 trillion infrastructure bill, the benefits would be staggering to, to us. And in the long run, that, we, we know that infrastructure, when you invest a trillion, you get many trillions out of it. It's a very high return activity, which is why both Democrats and Republicans like it. It's, it's liked by both parties. But we've never really had the votes to pass something as huge. We get a trillion dollars in infrastructure, I think that this actually, over the next 10 or 15 years, the benefits make up for that $2.5 trillion loss. So that's good news. Our Congress has acted. Yeah, and I I mentioned I read parts of the bill that were critical for uh, the information I needed, which was the housing and the credit and the unemployment and the small business and even the self-employed. And I I still, as I was reading, I said, this is, this can't be, this can't be right. Like there's no way that they actually did it and they did it the right way where there wasn't some catch or some hook or it was just shady type of political language. I mean, it was clear, concise, specific dates. 
And it was almost written like a, from a, a business person, like you mentioned, except for some of that, that pork, which is ridiculous. But overall, the rest mm-hmm. of it actually made sense. The, the dates made sense, the yep. timeframes, the protections. And I said, I, I, I was just so impressed uh, that uh, I said, you know what? Then that's when I, I had a shift on Friday when I read it because they said, you know what? I think we're going to be okay because I actually ran the numbers. And I said, okay, so you, you, you get, uh, get a little bit of help there so you don't have to make your mortgage payment, but you obviously, you're, you, it's just a time period. It's just to you know, get through a little bit past even that dance because it's the, the, even the unemployment is based on 120 days. And it's, yep. it's with the $600 kicker in Arizona, you're making almost $34,000 a year. But to well, divide by four, but still, that's that's what you're on track to. Thirty-four, almost thirty-four hundred bucks a month. If you can delay your mortgage payment, you can delay the credit cards. And the car companies, they were the first ones to come out in all the television commercials saying, "If you have any issues, then call us, please. We'll work with you." And uh, you know how fast these companies jumped on board before they even bill came out to to realize what how how much damage is being done and what, what people help they needed. I mean, it, it's a, it's really amazing from that side of things to see how quickly the companies jumped on board when, you know, as we mentioned in 2008, they, there was no help whatsoever. The mortgage companies were like, we don't care. You can't pay. It's your fault. And, and in this side, everybody, I mean, as soon as it happened, even though when you'd log on, I went to go pay my credit card last month and it, the big coronavirus thing, if you have any issues, call us, we'll work something out. I mean, it was just amazing to me how quickly they all jumped on board before mm-hmm. they even knew that they'd be even getting some support or some money on their end, which I'm totally fine with the numbers that they're all given um, because they are, they're, the, you know, the finance portion of it or the credit card, the car, the, all of those, plus not to mention they're, they're, they're large employers, but the money has to go around. Like that's the problem. Current, it's called currency for a reason, a flow. Because once it stops flowing, we have yep. what we have now. So, you know, those larger corporations and they, they need that money too, because, they have carrying costs, I and mean, even if they don't have the, employee, the employees, if they're all on furlough or if they're on the layoffs. Um, but the, you know, the industry, mm-hmm. and you, you don't do, you're on in this type of, um, you're in multifamily primarily in self storage. But really, what's gonna what's gonna get killed is is the restaurant industry, and that's something that you yep. know, from from the information I've gotten, it's not really gonna come back. Do you have any uh, insight on that based on the? The colleagues that you have and, and how are those tenants, how are they, uh, how are they uh, responding to, or are they, what are they preparing for? I mean, cause there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of, well, even retail. I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff to buy. Yeah. It's just companies are gone and they're not going to come back. So I think, yeah, I think that the, there's temporary damage and there's permanent damage from what I can see the airline industry with its $25 billion bill will come back just fine. As long as we do the dance well, and the cruise industry will be hit harder than the hotel industry, but will come back maybe a quarter later after that. I think that permanent damage, the businesses that close and never reopen, appear to be concentrated in not two, but three areas. Number one is, you know, the retail business, right? So everybody on the, on the retail side, which includes restaurants, right? So, but I'll, I'll, I'll count them as two separate entities, the food industry, that was a cash business, and, and some of those will just not be able to come back. I think we'll see some closures there that, that are permanent. The retail industry, everybody from nail salons to hair salons, a, a lot of those are not paying their, their landlords, but some of those will still be unable to come back, right? Some percentage of those, and I think it'll be low, 
But even if it's 10% of the retail industry and 10% of the restaurant industry, that's still a huge amount of damage. But then there's this third industry that pe that's flying under the radar because everybody keeps talking about, oh my God, the restaurants, and oh my God, what happens to the, to the retailers. But the third one that is getting hit, that is getting absolutely slaughtered, is the oil industry in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Oil, yeah. so the price of oil for Brent crude is in the low 20s, and West Texas, WTI, which is the, 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 the blend that comes out of Texas, has now dropped below $20, and there are indications that West Texas is going to drop to $10 a barrel. Oh. $10 a barrel. Canadian oil, uh, you know, West Canadian oil today is selling at under $6 a barrel. Nowhere uh, and never in history has a, a barrel of oil sold, even, even though it's unprocessed, sold for 6 bucks a barrel. And what's amazing is that there are actual news articles today that the price of oil in certain cases, not across the board, just want to be clear, in certain cases, the price of oil is going to drop four weeks from now to zero, where people will actually just let you take the oil for free because they haven't capped their wells yet. Because these wells, they have pressure. If you haven't capped them yet, the oil is going to be gushing out and you need, to, you need storage. So... At some point, the, Western, uh, the, the West Canadian oil, possibly also some of the Permian basis oil, is going to fall close to zero. And I can tell you, there was no bailout for the oil industry because the Democrats were opposed to it. And I'm a liberal Democrat, but shame on them. I know they don't like oil, and I don't like oil either. But you don't but you don't bail out the rest of the country and then not bail out one of the sectors that needs help. So shame on them for not including money in to bail out the, the oil industry. But that industry, Michelle, cannot recover because a lot of them were over leveraged. So the first bankruptcy already happened this morning. Mm. I expect there to be a massive wave of bankruptcy. So Oklahoma, Texas, tremendous impact uh, on the shale industry because the price of oil cannot bounce back immediately. The way the price of oil works is that even if the world has 1 million extra barrels a day, and the world usually uses 100 million barrels a day. So even if you have a glut of 1 million barrels a day, the price of oil is under pressure. We currently have 20 million barrels a day. We are using super tankers today to store oil. Never in the history have we used super tankers as oil storage devices. We use them to transport oil. We're using them to store oil because the demand for oil has completely gotten crushed. So the one story that's not being told is that the oil miners, not the majors, not Chevron, not Exxon, but the oil miners that were in North Dakota, in Texas, in Oklahoma, they're going to get butchered. And I don't think there's a way back for them. So what does that mean for the big picture overall in the oil industry and then energy and then national security? I mean, we don't need to, we don't want to get it from some other places, but then again, if it's, a, if it's zero or it goes up for a couple dollars compared to a couple of years ago, it was like, what, $150, $200, something crazy. I mean, then what? Yeah, it wasn't that, that high, that but it was, it was certainly touching a hundred. Yeah. So the, the honest answer is national security wise, we're okay. Because what happens in the oil sector is as companies go bankrupt, other companies buy them, right? So 
Oil is like banks. When a bank goes out of business, another bank buys all of your assets, right? In the same way, when an oil company goes out of business, some other oil company buys your assets. So from a national security perspective, we're okay because that new company got a, a deal. So it'll start pumping oil as soon as the price of oil goes back up above, you know, let's say 40 bucks a barrel. They'll start printing it. They'll start, they'll, they'll start um, you know, uh, pulling oil out of the ground again. So I don't think it's a national security issue. I do think it's a very substantial issue from an economic perspective. Oil has been one of the key engines of our recovery in the last nine years, especially particularly shale oil. So I do see a regional impact where the recession in places like Texas, like Oklahoma, like North Dakota is going to be far deeper and longer than the recession in other parts of the U.S. This is not unusual. We've had oil recessions in the country before where one part of the country was in recession and the rest of the country didn't, you know, blink. That happens every 10 years, every 15 years, because oil is a, a boom and, and bust sort of industry. But I can tell you, no bust in history has even come close to what the oil industry is, is doing. And the reason you haven't been hearing about it is because the mainstream media does not like oil. So you can't get CNN to talk about the fact that the oil industry is imploding. Nobody except Fox will talk about it. Once again, I'm a Democrat, but I'd recognize that the mainstream media will not give oil any time. But it's happening. If you go to oilprice.com, the art articles that you will read today are absolutely shocking. Yeah, big Price changes oil in zero. this world. Big changes. I mean, it's, it's just kind of overwhelming. And what do we do in the meantime? I mean, obviously, the only thing you can do is stay at home, right, as much as you can. Ride out the storm. Go file for your unemployment or your underemployment, even if you're self-employed. Unless you have a full-time salary job that has not changed, based on the criteria that I read in the bill, because the states also even have some more leniency, everyone's going to be approved for unemployment. Because if you were in salary yeah. and commission, then your commission's down. If you were in just commission only, it's probably not even there. And it doesn't matter if you're a, a gig employee or independent contractors or self-employed or it does not matter. So I want people to know that if not a full-time salaried person who nothing has changed for them, go file for your unemployment. It doesn't matter how much, if you were making 20 grand a month and now you're only making five, you know what? This package is designed for Americans to be able to get to the dance period and then afterwards. To no fault yep. of your own, did this happen? This is not a government handout. Do not feel proud. Do not have any apprehension to not go and file because you deserve this, because you're sacrificing everything so we can make this work and get to the point where we come out on the other side. I want to just stress that to everybody. Uh, everybody should file, except for Neil. And then, uh, <laughs> but as I'm far as the, uh, I think you should. I think you should. I think everybody should. And because there the might be something there. in it for me. No, well, really exactly. Because so as far as I'm concerned, your income has changed. If Everybody's I qualify, income has changed. my income has changed. Every property that I own. There's My no income levels income. have changed quite drastically. Yeah, you, that's right. And you qualify because it's you've been economically affected by the coronavirus. There isn't one person that they have not touched by describing it, unless you are totally whole, which there's not that many people that are. No. Definitely, I want everyone to file. And then, of course, the the whole 
small business and the paycheck protection program. That's amazing. And I read the criteria from that. That's even for somebody who is self-employed and a sole or a sole proprietor with no employees. You can go get one of the paycheck or you can get a loan, which is basically forgiven. So anybody can go get those. And they, you can go to your bank. You can go to a fintech online. You can go to a credit union. Just go on to sba.gov. I started to read through the application. It's really basic. And then you'll, they'll give you a list of paperwork you need, which you've got to actually have something. You can't just say, I made $10,000 last month and I have nothing to show. So it has to be legitimate. And then you go to the bank and they're, they're supposed to be able to get these things done within a day or so. And then that will be a huge cash infusion. They're getting rid of all the red tape and that's supposed to start on Friday. Take advantage of the situation. As far as from an investor standpoint, Neil, do you want to comment on anything about that, especially in the multifamily? Two things. It, actually, I want to start off with stocks. So one of the things is that I'm, now that I'm tracking the hammer working successfully, more so than most people realize, and, and I have a high level of confidence in the dance, believe it or not, I'm doing something I haven't done for 10 years. I'm buying stocks that are 40, 50, 60% off. So I bought Royal Caribbean stock at 80% off. Um, not something I do normally because I'm very tied to real estate because of its massive benefits over stocks. But if something is available on a fire sale, it's something to look into. Why do I say this? Because I don't want you, the listeners, to freeze. You've already mm-hmm. regretted not buying a lot of real estate in 2009, 2010. Don't do it again. Yes, this thing is horrific, but it's also the pain is contained in a very short amount of time. Stop thinking that it's 2008, right? It is, it is a Category 6 hurricane that is hitting every single city in America for two straight months. But like every hurricane, after it's gone, life returns to normalcy, and it returns to normalcy much faster than, let's say, a 2008-type true recession. So whether it's stocks or it's real estate, don't freeze. If you're, if you're more interested in real estate, you'll actually get some buying opportunities in Q3. Because as we said, there's going to be some blood in the water. The economy will return to normal. But those people that were in a bad cash position or they were properties that are not eligible for some of these loan forgivenesses or, or forbearances. Remember, my properties, I can get forbearance on them for 90 days because they were already performing. That's what the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac rules say that I can get forbearance for all of my apartment complexes uh, for 90 days because they were already performing. But what if your property wasn't performing in Jan or Feb? Well, then you're not going to be eligible for that forbearance, which means that there's going to be properties coming to market. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac rules apply to, let's say, quadplexes, uh, you know, a sixplex. Those of you that are in the market that like real estate need to have dry powder. Do not freeze like you did in 2009 because you'll be kicking yourself six months from today for, because that buying opportunity will be much shorter this time. And in my mind, it's mostly Q3 and maybe some portion of Q4. You might see a few deals in, in Q2, but I think it's too early. So don't freeze. Keep some powder dry. The opportunity that you've been waiting for for the next three or four years, for the last three or four years, is finally here, but it's short. If you own any properties, or even if you have your own home, you've got cars, your credit cards, call all of them, call every single one of them and let them know what's going on, come up with a, a dates or whatever, so at least it's on record. 
And that way uh, you don't put your head in the sand just because it says you don't have to make a payment. Well, you need to make a call first. So I want people to know that you have to call them, have a conversation and that's going to make all the difference in the world. You can't just say, well, I, I read an article that I didn't have to pay my student loans for six months. It's true, but make sure you call everybody and have that conversation so it's, it's on file, it's recorded, as opposed to what people did in 2008 where they put their head in the sand and then they wondered, uh, why is there someone at their front door who says they own their house? So I don't want anyone to do that. Everybody's on the same team at this time. It's open communication. The advantage for the consumer or the investor is huge. So use this to your advantage. It'll make a huge difference and we'll come out of this on the other side. Me, Neil, and Adele singing uh, hello from the other side because we made it through. <laughs> We've made it through the rain, my friend. Uh, Neil, do you want to give I'll your contact information? Media. Any last words of advice or inspiration for everybody? I actually have something more tangible this time. So I, I you know, there's, we do webinars each week about the coronavirus impact on life, business, real estate, and stocks. And unlike our previous webinars, every week the, the entire content of the webinar changes because this thing forces us to change our presentation every single week. So it's a future-looking outlook with lots of tips, lots of ideas, uh, with lots of resources. It's available at multifamilyu.com. That's multifamily followed by the letter u.com. We don't just talk about multifamily or apartments. We talk about every aspect of real estate, everything from student housing to senior housing to hotels to malls to, to every other type of asset that you can imagine that has been hit. And we bring in different speakers and get their opinions. We're bringing in lenders and lawyers and CPAs. And so it's, it's a terrific activity, and I feel really good about it. And what's amazing, Michelle, is we used to get about 100 people on our webinars, our weekly webinars. The last time we've done them, and it hasn't been once a week. We're doing them twice a week now. Every single time, we get exactly 500 people because that's how many our Zoom license allows. So we get 500 people twice a week on these webinars because people are really engaged and they want to learn what, you know, fine, okay, coronavirus, but what is the impact on life, on real estate, on business, on stocks? And so we're bringing in different speakers to get their feedback on that. And it's a, it's a terrific series. It's free. It'll always be, it's meant to be free. So check it out at multifamilyu.com. And it's great content. I've listened and watched all of them so far. And then what I'm doing is I'm getting them from Neil. He's sending them to me. I'm, I'm repurposing them into a podcast in case somebody wants to do an audio version, like on the go. And they're listed on our website, everythinghometalkshow.com. If you go to the marketplace webinar and it has all Neil's things, you just click on it and it'll get you to the replay. It'll actually have the upcoming ones that you could register. So all of that is there because I, I believe in the, in the information and the way that Neil presents it is just, uh, it gives you a whole new perspective and you get, you go, Oh, I understand that. Why didn't, why can't anyone else explain it that way? Now you go, Oh, now it makes sense. I appreciate your delivery uh, the way that you present the information to, to just the average person so that they can be included because it's their, it's, it's their country, their economy too. And, and I think that a lot of the times they, they don't participate or they don't want to pay attention because they think it's too much and it's not. You make it accessible and understandable for everybody, regardless of who they are. So I, I admire you for that. And like I said, you should be on TV more often. Thank that's, you. that's the voice that I want to see and hear on television. 
Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, Soon, you're I'll welcome. be on TV. It's long overdue. So, Neil, thank you again for coming on the show. I'm going to have to have you on in, again in April, and maybe what we'll do is we'll do like maybe two short ones, so that that way we can get some updates and get some more information, because in the next two to three weeks, there's going to be a drastic change, and, and I would love to get your feedback. So what maybe what we'll do is we'll we'll do a little bit shorter show, but we'll get the, the information out to everybody so they can they can be prepared when we come out on that other side. Is that a deal? All right. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day, Neil, and stay safe. Looking forward to another episode here in another week or so. We'll get through this. Hello from the other side. (laughs) Hello from the other side. Hello from the other side. Oh, man. And everybody else out there, stay safe. Be smart. Go file for unemployment. And if you need the loan programs, go get it. It's there for you. Call your creditors. Let them know what's going on. And as they keep saying, we're all in this together. We'll get through it and we'll get to the other side. Make it a great day, everybody. And God bless America. Listening to Everything Home with Michelle Swinnick. Life, laughter, and the pursuit of happiness. To meet, learn from, and hire the experts and the guests, professionals, and members of the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and Marketplace, visit everythinghometalkshow.com slash episodes. And to listen, subscribe, rate, review, like, follow, comment, and share, go to www.everythinghometalkshow.com. And find us on all the major listening platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you were entertained, and we hope that you picked up some real-life, tangible takeaways from some good people doing good business and good things. Till next time, this is Everything Home, signing off. Did you know 63% of consumers prefer to buy from purpose-driven brands and businesses that reflect their own values, beliefs, and support charitable causes? Promos for a Purpose provides business owners with ways to support worthy causes and promote their brands at the same time with its comprehensive done-for-you marketing and media program. Visit www.promosforapurpose.com for more information. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.